0: Today's episode of the BS Podcast is brought to you by SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor and the only fan-friendly app for buying and selling sports and music tickets. Other sites have gone back to the same old tactic of showing you a lower price and then charging huge fees at checkout. At SeatGeek, the price you see is always the price you pay. With SeatGeek, there's no guesswork. You'll always know exactly how much you're paying. Drop your old site experience buying and selling tickets the way it should be to start using SeatGeek. Download the free SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Today's episode is also brought to you by HBO Now, home of After the Thrones, the Ringer's post-game show for Game of Thrones, which debuts this weekend. It stars Andy Greenwald and Chris Ryan. Uh, Game of Thrones premieres on HBO Sunday night, April 24th, and just a couple hours later on HBO Now. You can watch After the Thrones. This is big. It's, it, we, we made a studio for it. We have Chris Ryan, Andy Greenwald. There's a cameo by Mallory Rubin. This is this is a real thing. It's a real TV show. You can download uh, the HBO Now app, start a free one-month trial in time for After the Thrones. Chris Ryan, Andy Greenwald. Don't you want to support those guys? And speaking of support, go to the ringer.com, subscribe to our new newsletter. We are closing in on 200,000 subscribers, and we're going to talk about Prince with Chuck Klosterman, Wesley Morris, and then a little NBA playoffs with Joe House. Here we go. Yeah. Clear for you. <laughs> it's Friday. We have Joe House coming up in a little bit to talk yeah. about the NBA playoffs. A so possible Wesley phone. Morris stop by. Who knows what... Is he he texts. He doesn't text. <laughs> we never hear from him. Uh, right on the phone right now, Chuck Klosterman and uh 24 to 30 30 hours ago prince passed away and a shocker the sometimes what? with celebrity deaths you can you, you kind of have a hint of it maybe i i there'd been rumors that prince was sick but i i just didn't believe it. he's only 57 what was your reaction
1: well i mean not only was he 57 but Generally now there's different kind of rumors coming out now. Who knows what it was? But I always viewed him as living as a very clean life. Yeah, and he obviously was not overweight. He was incredibly fit. Um, you look at him at 57; he doesn't look that different than he looked in 1990 something. I mean, it's just it's he he did not seem to to uh, be aging in any kind of dramatic way. I mean, I know that for a while he used a cane and. And he missed this show because of the flu or whatever. But I, I got to say, I was pretty shocked. I was walking in to uh, see the movie uh, Everybody Wants Them. And then, like, all of a sudden, you know, there's seven texts and you know something happens.
0: <laughs> yeah. What uh, the coverage the last 24 to 30 hours made me wonder how many celebrities have ever had a higher approval rating than Prince? Seems like everybody oh, yeah. loved I Prince. Mean, well,
1: was. I mean, universally respected, if nothing else. You know, I mean, I, I do think that the timing with Bowie, of course, you know, people were so, there was such sort of a social response to that. I wonder if, if like, you know, because to me, the Prince thing seems bigger because of his age and because who knows how many records he was still going to put out. And, I mean, I don't know. I, this doesn't really seem like a bold statement. I think a lot of people are saying it. I mean, in terms of, pure talent in rock, pop, funk, you know, in terms of all, hitting the all fields, being able to perform, write, sing, play. I mean, he's he's the most talented person ever in this. I mean, he's the, mo- he's the most talented pop musician ever, I think. So it just, it, it, it does seem like a bigger deal, but, you know.
0: Yeah, I would, it's weird. I was thinking about him versus Michael Jackson. So I always thought Michael Jackson was like the most talented person in the music realm but prince could play also play all these instruments and then you hear these people say he was the greatest guitarist ever and all this stuff and it made me think like man maybe prince was the greatest ever
1: I, i i think he was i mean you know that comparison of course in the 80s it happened all the time because then it was still like it didn't seem weird at all to compare two guys just because they were both black and you know kind of smallish people but and you if you remember at that time, the initial feeling was that Prince was the weird one. Yeah. Like Prince was seen as the weirder of the two guys. And then that changed dramatically over the course of the nineties. Not that people suddenly saw Prince as being, you know, uh, you know, like the guy next door, but he, he was much more calculating about sort of his behavior. Although when we look back, like, I think for people of a generation, like the next generation who will know who Prince is, but had no experience of him being alive. I think that when they look back at that period when, you know, he briefly changed his name to an unpronounceable symbol, that's going to seem so crazy. But when it happened at the time, it did kind of seem like Prince being Prince. Yeah. You
0: know? Right. He had a lot of the check marks of that musician's hit, and he did almost all of them in, in really successful ways, right? Like he. Oh, yeah. He tried to do and, a concert and, and, movie, and it was actually, I mean, it was more than a concert movie, but was really good most people when they try that it ends up being a disaster and he did the double album and it was actually a really good double album and he did the album that he never released that there are always rumors about and that had the most mystery to it of anything other than oh well, he you know it plays just
1: plays a super bowl halftime show and it's either the best one or the only one that's not bad right. i mean that's like you know he did that the best when he makes purple rain this idea of a, of a pop artist Saying like, well, okay, I'm going to make a movie that's kind of loosely based on my life, and I'm going to play myself. You know, that goes way back to Elvis and all that stuff. Hmm. Purple Rain's like to me the best of those movies.
2: No I mean, question. you know,
1: it's it's so it's it's a strange in between thing where parts of it seem. Um, like, bizarrely real, like, this must be a reflection of his life. And, of course, some of it was fictionalized, and his acting is good. I mean, there's the scene where he gets off the stage and he's really upset, and he paces back and forth in his dressing room, and he sits down for, like, two seconds and pouts, then he gets up and paces again. I mean, that's a different kind of acting, but, boy, I just, I can visualize that in my mind right now. I haven't seen that movie in ten years, maybe. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I was shocked by, I guess I shouldn't have been shocked, but, you know, Prince was kind of our generation, and when when he took off like i remember all the beats to it and i think the difference between when he died and when david bowie died was the number of like teenagers and people in their 20s that were just as upset about prince uh, like as we were and and it reminded me a lot of the michael jackson thing where you just realize like oh even though this guy's from my generation he's he's trickled down to 20 30 years after me i don't think bowie I'm sure there were some people out there that loved them who were like under 25, but it wasn't like Prince. Oh no,
1: that, that definitely that definitely existed. You got to be always careful now. I, I feel like whenever these guys die, what uh, you know, it kind of drives me crazy when I go on Facebook or Twitter and I see people really personalizing this event as if like the entire world, like the world exists so that they're the main character in some story. And now Prince died, so how does this affect the main character? But yeah. I will say this: I mean, Bowie. There was never a time in my life when Bowie wasn't famous. Like, uh, when I got into music, Boy was famous. When I got into music, Prince was, like, this rising person, but he seemed initially, uh, like, when I was real young, like, I kind of associated him with with dance music and and pure pop music, which at the time, is isn't this way now, but at the time, it was seen as definitely secondary to rock or whatever. Um, Then 1999 comes out, it's a great record, but still it sort of seems as if it's sort of appealing just like a segment of the culture, and then he makes Purple Rain, which is a rock record, and it ends up being like probably with with Appetite for Destruction, the best rock records of that decade. Like those are probably the two best rock records of that decade. And his guitar playing on that album is amazing. It seems better than any of the metal guys, uh, you know, or most of the metal guys who were famous for specifically that. He was almost doing it as a secondary thing, um, and then. Instead of still staying on that trajectory, he makes a record that kind of moves back kind of into psychedelic pop. I mean, it was like he could kind of do everything. There really isn't any aspect of music that he didn't do exceptionally well. And the other thing that still blows my mind about this is like, okay, I think he had 39 records. At one point I saw someone say 32, but then I saw someone else say 39. 39 studio records, live records, and all of these things. So he's one of the most prolific artists of all time. Typically with guys who are that prolific, you know, whether it's like the guy from Guided by Voices or Ryan Adams or whatever, there's this criticism built in that they need to focus and really bear down and make a great record, and that somehow being prolific is a way to avoid greatness because you're, you know, you're putting music out so quickly, you're, you're doing work so fast that there's no pressure to sort of you know, say, like, this is my statement. Nobody would ever say that about Prince. He has five or six sort of monumental epic records that if they were the only record he had put out, he would be in the conversation among the most important artists from that period. I mean I I it is sort of his career really is staggering.
0: Yeah, and and he hit that genius uh stratosphere pretty early. And after you do that you can do whatever you want. He just he I mean I I, I don't think most people can even Name three the titles of three Prince albums from the last twenty years, but it doesn't matter. You know, he's just <laughs> releasing music. It's great. Oh, great! Prince put I, out something else. I you went.
1: Know? I went to a journalism convention in like the nineties, like a newspaper journalism convention, and there was somebody giving a talk who had been a high school teacher in Minneapolis, and she was—I can't remember who she was or or why she was giving this talk, but the nature of it was basically that that you know uh, that. She had this student who basically refused to do his homework. And anytime she tried to get him to do his homework, he would say, like, it's not going to matter. I'm going to be famous. And she was like, that ended up being Prince. Right. Sometimes people who are really arrogant are totally right.
0: Right. I remember, I don't remember what year it was, but when, when he put out whatever the first album was, Dirty Mind? Did he have an album before that, or was it Dirty well, Mind? Well,
1: the first record was, like, in, like in 1978. And then yeah, yeah, yeah. The second record was... I mean,
0: the first mainstream Like, one.
1: self-titled. I, I mean Dirty Mind was Zaddy, 1980,
0: I think. That's the first one I remember and and part of Prince was like you you're looking at him and you're like who is he? Like there was racial identity stuff that you're trying to, is he is he Puerto Rican? Is he black? Like this guy's so interesting. Well, I would he was so the,
1: different. Uh, the the song controversy approaches this idea pretty yeah. directly where he just right. he's kind of he says like, you know, um and
0: He was a little androgynous. We're black.
1: You very androgynous, yes. You know. Maybe uh, I, 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 in, in terms of, of just, I mean, that whole period from like the late seventies and the early eighties. I think for a lot of people, they said like, "There's this guy. He's really talented." But the main thing they said was, "He's an extremely sexual artist." Right. That there was just like that that um, almost as though that that it was a gimmick. The way that you would look at, you know, um, you know any number of, very often female, but sometimes male artists over time, whose sexuality was the main thing. You know, Samantha Fox or whatever, you know. Um, But uh, that didn't last long. I mean, it just...
0: And uh, I have a... I had a vague memory of him on SNL at some point during the early Eddie Murphy years. And the same thing, there was this real mystery about him, which is one of the things that made Purple Rain so unbelievable. Because you go out and it's like, I don't know anything about this guy. I don't know what he's about. I don't know if he's straight. I don't know if he's gay. I don't know what his background is. And then Purple Rain comes out. And I I don't think you can overstate how great that movie was. Because, you know, the way when when musicians made movies, they were either like what you said, like the Elvis type of movie. Or they were like the Led Zeppelin song that remains the same, like just really egocentric concert movies. Or it was like Pink Floyd, The Wall. Just fucking weird. And... This was a movie that starts out with Let's Go Crazy and it's just 5 minutes of Prince just kicking ass and it's shot like the best possible MTV music video that ever could have come out and it I mean in the theater I'm sure you remember this too it was unbelievable it was like the, it was like the best first 5 minutes of a movie I've ever seen in my life and then it just went well, from and there like,
1: and there's and still like you know there's some uncomfortable things in that movie. I mean, oh my God. I wonder is, is that the last movie where we're supposed to root for the character throughout the whole film, even though he hits his girlfriend? I mean, he like, there's, I, I, I think that probably there's a probably, you know, a, a much younger generation who are not going to watch this movie this weekend because it's like, you know, they're going to, they're going to be on, Snapchat or whatever and see People talking about Prince They're going to go Watch this movie And for them It's going to be A real Bizarre thing Because it's just You would never see that In any kind of movie now Even just the fact that Like he makes the woman Jump into the lake Just to be Just basically To be mean her, You know
0: Right um, and, Yeah I was going to say
1: like, about, like SNL th-
0: There's oh, ahead there's, uh, there's a lot of movies That haven't aged well From the 80's For a variety of reasons And that one's Way up there Because it's Basically, the theme of the movie is his dad pretty ritually beat his mom, and now Prince is starting to veer down that direction with his girlfriend. And can he realize that he should find true love over just repeatedly beating up his girlfriend? That's a pretty fucked up plot for a movie. Well, right.
1: I mean, I think that the themes are even a little weirder. I mean, like, like the key theme, like key point in that movie is when he's playing piano with his father and like his father says you know prince like you write any of this down and he's like i don't need to write it down that's the difference between you and me and it's like that's like really this is a movie about the concept of art and 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 the meaning of art and like like is that what prince feels about music or is he or is he disregard is, is that all a lie i mean there's also a part earlier in that film where a guy at the club at first avenue like directly says like you know nobody cares about your music but you. They're basically like, no one digs what you're doing but you. Yeah. And like, it was an incredibly important point for Prince to have in this movie. That, 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 I mean, if I think that he probably, in a way, saw that as the defining quality of who he was, that throughout his career, well, I shouldn't say that, from 78 up until the early 90s, his record tended to be about a year and a half ahead of what everyone else was doing. And I think that he just really saw himself as being like, I'm getting something. Like, I I am musically advanced in a way that the rest of the world can't accept. And if they could accept it, it would mean I'm not so great. Um, You talked about Saturday Night Live. Yeah, go
0: ahead. ahead. I had a couple more Purple Rain thoughts. It wasn't just that he hit Apollonia. There's There's two really mean scenes in that movie that have nothing to do with violence. One is when he makes her jump in the lake. Which well, uh, also,
1: Jerome throws a woman into a garbage can. Oh
0: yeah, that happens like too. Dumpster. That wasn't great. But like
1: he's supposed to be the bad guy, but right. it's not really played in a sinister way. Like it's definitely done for comedic value. But
0: yeah. Oh no question. And then the Darling Nikki scene is incredible. And you could argue that's actually the meanest scene in the movie. He plays mm-hmm. this song, yeah. and it, and it's a really mean spirited song, but it's an incredible performance, and it's one of the key moments in the movie where. He, he feels like she's kind of going down the road with Morris Day a little bit so his revenge is to perform this song and just perform it for her and make it seem like she's the girl in the song and it's and it's really emotionally devastating and it's really weird and it's also a really weird song I don't I mean, it's definitely one of the weirdest songs he's ever done but it but it's yeah. part of the journey of that movie is at the end he his his music is almost. Too mean-spirited, or whatever edge it has, that the two girls in the band. Yes. That when he finally ends up uh, playing the beat of Purple Rain, and then writing a song about it, and it's almost like now, now females have infiltrated his artistry, and now Although everything's okay. In
1: truth, in truth, would never happen. Like he wrote that song, but right. like he was <laughs> he was he was essentially saying, like, look at me, I'm 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 accepting these songs from these other people. This is the fictional part of the movie. Uh, there, there, there's an early part of that movie too where he's. He brings Apollonia over to his house, and he's playing what sounds like a woman moaning. Right. Apollonia thinks that, like, he has taped someone secretly while they're having sex, and he's like, no, that's a person crying played in reverse. <laughs> and It's like, this is the kind okay. of dude I am, you know? <laughs> and like, they, there's, you, I'm sure this is on YouTube. I haven't looked, but somebody will do It's Like, there's a, a, a scene of him from the American Bandstand, you know, like way, way back, and Dick Clark asks him a question. And he just holds up four fingers. And it's not a question about numbers. Yeah. It's like a question like, you know, like, you know, what are you, uh, like, you know, how did you get into this or whatever? And he just holds up four fingers. That was like the person he was.
0: Yeah. The uh, the other part that of Purple Rain that's really interesting is because you don't see celebrities do this to themselves, but like Morris Day mocks Prince in the movie. He mocks the Let's Go Crazy song, which... It's kind of a vulnerable moment if you're Prince, right? Like, Let's Go Crazy is the, is the first five minutes of the movie, and it's phenomenal. And then later on, Morris Day just mocks it. And I don't know a lot of well, artists yes, who would have let anyone was... do that.
1: <laughs> well, and also within the context of the movie, yeah. his father has just tried to kill himself for right. whatever. <laughs> but that's what he's in mo- So that's like a pretty, uh, uh, I mean, Morris Day is amazing in that movie, too.
0: Um, how, m- how many times did you see Prince in person?
1: Twice. First time was the best show I've ever seen. In fact, there's really? a book. Some, well, some guy uh, named Sean Manning put out an anthology about, like, he has 50 people to write about. The best show they ever saw, and that was the one I wrote about. Um, and then I saw him again. I saw that one in Fargo in 97. And I saw him in Cleveland in, like, 2000 or 2001. What I remember about that second show is that in the middle, he, like, did a medley of nine of his hits just seamlessly put together. In about three minutes, and the rest of the show was like weird songs.
0: Yeah. I saw him. I, I had to do something at the Webby Awards in like 2006, and it was right when the Webby Awards were getting going, and it was it was kind of the first year they had tried to blow it out, and they were like, "Yeah, we got Prince. Prince is going to sing at the end of the awards." And I, and everyone was like, "No way, Prince isn't going to sing." And he said, "No, no, he's going to sing." It was like so. It was one of those things, and Prince came out at the tail end. People like were were just kind of in disbelief. He sang one song, dropped his guitar, and just walked out. It was amazing. I'll never forget it. And then the last time I saw him was last year. We went went with Rembert to this Brand Jordan event, and uh, and they had there was rumors that Prince was playing, and and of course he started playing at one o'clock and cranking out hits, and and uh, he must have played for like. A half hour and then he came back, played for another 45 minutes. But it's like you said before, there was an agelessness about him. He was just as good last year as he probably was 30 years ago. There was no no sign of decline at all. People
1: who saw this tour where he was just playing piano were rhapsodic about it. Like, this is the greatest thing they ever saw. You know, I mean, I know, like, how you love kind of, like, coming up with, like, these little terms, like, the Tyson Zone, you know? Right. He use the Tyson Zone to just, like, that's, like, describe somebody that anything that they could do in public is possible.
0: Like Johnny Manziel. You know,
1: yeah, like, Prince was like that, but, like, best possible version yeah. of the Tyson Zone. Like, I mean, I was so confused when I found out he was doing the soundtrack to Batman. That seemed like the weirdest thing to me when that happened, but... I, looking back now, it just it makes total sense within sort of the weird kind of up and like just the just the way he was, you know.
0: I think that uh, when he changed his name to the symbol, that was pretty weird. That's in the moment I felt like the wheels were starting to come off for him, and you know that's when musically he he'd had such an unbelievable run in the eighties, and um, I don't know. I, I thought that did set him back. I don't. I wonder if he would do that again if 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 like what? he could have done his career 10 times would it, would that specific choice have been made if he knew well, afterwards what he knew going through it
1: i suppose that, that that was technically the weirdest thing that he ever did the time when i saw him in 97 that was right in the middle of that period now you know prince didn't really do interviews it's like a kind of a famous thing you know and if you did interview prince you couldn't tape record it or usually take notes yeah, You just had to sit there and kind of. You know. but, uh, so we were trying, we were in Fargo, and he wasn't going to do an interview. But email was, you know, the idea of emailing someone in an interview was just starting to be possible. So my coworker Ross uh, emailed Prince 10 questions, okay? And he answered all of them. Now, a lot of the questions he would answer like, with what would now be called emojis. Like they'd ask him a question, and he would just send back like a, a picture of a human eye. Or he was like, send back, like, a pyramid or whatever. Except, if I recall, the one question he totally answered was, that was the time around the time when, remember, they were talking about contracting the Twins and the Nationals? Yeah. For some reason, the last question, my friend Ross, who doesn't even like baseball at all, like, asked him a question about that, and he gave, like, a very cogent, full answer to that question. Like, that was the one thing he would answer. Like, he was like, but they should not contract the Twins.
0: That's The two biggest mysteries Of Prince's life Were like Who was he He was always dating somebody And he had a type And it was always Kind of this anonymous Pretty type But I could never figure out What was going on With him on that end And then How big of a sports fan Was he because it actually seemed like he was a legitimate sports fan, but I never heard him really talk about it eloquently, and I never heard anybody kind of push well, him
1: okay. to well, go this there. Is, this, is how, this is how big a sports fan he supposedly was. Remember, this is, of course, all the print, so this is always hard to prove. But right. supposedly, he was so into the Bulls, particularly during the second run, their second three-peat, that during concerts, he would have them put monitors on the sides of the stage showing the game and he would watch the game during guitar solos. He, he, he would he would walk to the side of the stage and kind of put his head down so it looked like he was looking at the guitar, but he was actually watching the game. Um, I, 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 so that seems like a pretty big sports fan to me.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I, but who knows like, if that's true?
1: Well, you know, it, it certainly seems like something he would do, yeah. you know? Um, or uh, as far as his dating life, of course, he yeah, super interesting super interesting all the way through uh, whenever you've seen like Apollonia or whoever interviewed about Prince very often they will mention that he was the best smelling guy that he was a really great smelling person I guess (laughs) Um, and you know he just I I, this is I don't even know if this is like a a bad thing to say but like I've always sort of amazed that he's trying to pick up a girl from the bangles He's, he's really into, like, Susanna Hoff, I think it was. And he was like, boy, what should I do? Oh, I'm going to give you this song, Manic Monday. Play this song. It'll probably go to number one. Like, you know, right. do you want to go out now? It's like that, that was, like, instead of, like, sending someone flowers, he would give them songs to record and
0: become famous. I had no idea that he gave "Stand back to Stevie Nicks. I have a feeling he gave, like, 50 songs to people, and we probably only know about, like, five of them.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. Like, well, uh, you know, Big Sinead O'Connor song. He yeah. Did that one. You know, it's like uh, he just could effortlessly do this, and effortlessly is always. I know you're not supposed to say that anymore because it somehow suggests that a person is not working hard, and he was
0: yeah. obviously
1: it. But th- there was something about it that he just just intuitively understood. Although not the easiest person to work with, I I knew a girl in college who was friends with someone who had worked on some print records in the studio in Minneapolis. Um, and one time, Prince called the guy at, I think she said it was 11 o'clock p.m. on Christmas Eve. and said, get in here.
0: Ooh! And he was
1: like, "You coming, come in and play on this. You know, it's like, he, 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 the guy was like, well, it's kind of a weird time, you know. And he's like, it doesn't matter. It's like, you want to work with me, come in now.
0: I really want to read the definitive piece on how big of a sports fan Prince was. Like, let's say I ran into him when I was on NBA Countdown. Would he have... Would there have been recognition in his eyes, and would he have pulled me aside and just wanted to talk about the Bulls for five minutes with me? I feel like there's a fifty percent chance, like he cared about sports that much. They would been like, "Oh, the white guy from NBA Countdown. I want to talk to this guy." It's possible. Yeah, you know, well, I
1: mean, I, 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 I would guess that Prince probably read a lot of sports. Right? I mean, I, I don't. You know, we don't. We don't know much about his life, but we know that he spent a lot of time at home and he was interested in technology. I. I, I, there's no reason to assume that he'd be like, I'm not interested in the internet. I'm not, you know. I wonder like, if
0: and, he read uh, Zach Lowe's pieces and, and like, really uh, liked how Zach Lowe broke down how somebody was defending the pick and roll. Well,
1: he had Pins- played in high school, and people who played pickup basketball, like the famous Charlie Murphy story about them yeah. playing basketball at midnight, the story always suggests he was pretty skilled. You know, I mean, very little guy, you know, five, I don't know, five four maybe, you know it's like a DVD. Spud Web type I, I think more like a Muggsy type hmm. I think Spud Web could have probably took him to the block
0: Prince unbelievable well I'm gonna be uh, I, I I was busy yesterday I'm gonna do like a four a four hour deep dive into all the stories cause it seems like everybody wrote something so I'm I'm sure there's a million things out there that that we but haven't even talked about all those about.
1: great stories just about like oh weird things about Prince you know Prince um, fired a guy for looking at him once. Supposedly, you know, um, right. my wife, when she was the uh, when she was the, the music critic uh, in Minneapolis at the at City Pages, at one point Prince like took her aside into a small room and tried to intimidate her for something she had written questioning his misogyny, and he wanted to explain being a Jehovah's Witness to her. Mm. It's like it's just like he, there's like a lot of people have these stories about it because. Like it's a little bit like Bill Murray. Any encounter you have with him constitutes telling it. Like 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 he was he, he was not somebody who was out in the public. So if you had any sort of exchange with him, that alone makes it worthwhile. Like you know, it's like it's it's a story just that, you know, you were in the same place he was.
0: Yeah, I might have to make up a print story. I'm going to have to make I'm going to think about be? that this weekend. Oh, I'm going to make up some story about how he emailed me about a column. We had a whole exchange about it. <laughs> something like that. Um, last question, and then we have to go. What was Purple Rain about? The song? Yeah. What was it about? What was he trying to say in Purple Rain?
1: Well, okay, here's my assumption. My okay. assumption always had been that, that uh, he had loved the field, strawberry field but the Beatles. And he wanted to make a song like "Strawberry Fields Forever," and uh, uh, "Purple Rain" sort of represents uh, a universe or a world that transcends our own. That that when we reach whatever sort of whatever kind of mental plane that he believed we were supposed to exist on, or that he existed on, that it would almost be like sort of like moving into uh, heaven where uh the sky would be purple and purple was his favorite color so you would sort of be supported and sustained by sort of the like the kind of the majesty and beauty of this color that would fall from the sky upon you i guess that's what i thought but i don't know i've never
0: really thought about it before because it starts out like he's breaking up with or somebody has broken up with him mm-hmm. and he's trying okay. to reconcile do do? his role what? in it
1: Let's let's quickly just. I'm going to go on the computer here and bring up. The I'm going to
0: read it to you. He it goes. Okay. I never meant to cause you any sorrow. I never meant to cause you any pain. I only wanted one time to see you laughing. I only want to see you laughing in the purple rain. And then okay,
1: the, that that I think is that that the you don't you know, cause you any sorrow, you any pain. I don't think that's a person. I think that's the collective us. Well, no, but we it, but then it goes.
0: Person. Then later it goes. The next. Stanza. I never wanted to be your weekend lover. I only wanted to be some kind of friend, baby. I could never steal you from another. It's such a shame our friendship had to end. That makes me think he's singing. He's singing about a person. It
1: does seem like a person there.
0: Then, very much like but it. then it gets weird. And that's it,
1: also a big. He has a lot of songs like that where he's like, like I could, you know, I could never take the place of your man, or like, like right. he, he's, he's very. That's a, that's a real hot button issue for him.
0: So then it goes. I only want to see you underneath the purple rain I'm wondering if the purple rain is something that comes from him and he's like look I'm sorry I messed around in this relationship and maybe I led you on and you know I I just wanted a connection with you I wanted you to be part of my purple rain but then it gets super weird then it goes honey I know times are changing it's time we all reach out for something new that means you too But then he goes, you say you want a leader, but you can't seem to make up your mind. I think you better close it and let me guide you through the Purple Rain. So now he's talking to all of us. He wants to be our leader.
1: Okay, but there's also, you know, that's the last song on Purple Rain. The first song is Let's Go Crazy, which also has a heavy religious theme. You know, um, know, that's an interesting thing. Like, you can't seem to make up your mind. I think you better close it. It's almost sort of like, I think he's suggesting that... People keep trying to find secular ways to understand reality they need to embrace the kind of the Christian conventional God because that's even on these early super sexy records he talks about God a lot
0: wow it's a really weird song and it's an awesome end to the movie and it's hard to it's hard to overstate how gigantic that song was in nineteen eighty four which really might have been. The best year in the history of pop music if you really broke it. Well, a lot of
1: people feel that. I mean there's just and you know, like or like When Doves Cry, so it's like a funk song and there's no bass on it. That's a real original idea. Like let's go crazy with I mean Purple Rain was probably only the third biggest song from that record. Which is just amazing when you think about it.
0: It's true. It feels like it's the one that's lived on the best though. Maybe because it was. I don't had know. The Let's title. go
1: crazy. I, I think "Let's Go Crazy" is just that. That is. I don't know. To me, that is the one. But you know, it's all subjective.
0: Well, the the smartest one he had was uh, <laughs> "Partying Like It's 1999," which he clearly wrote, um, well in advance, knowing that in 1999 it was going to be the signature song of that year. I like I like what artists do that. It was, well, it, it, it was it, a long term it, it, play.
1: It, it, I mean, maybe maybe you didn't feel this way, but when that song came out in, like, 1982, didn't it seem like 1999 was so far in the future it would never come? Right. It was <laughs> like, like, it was like I, Escape I, from I, it New York. It was odd that we were all, like, everybody who was alive in the 1980s knew that they would live to see the 21st century. But that would still be kind of the de facto thing you would use to describe a distant future... That would never be reached.
0: <laughs> yep. and, that, and that was, so part of it was, yeah, we're going to party like it's 1999 because that's a million years from now, which was basically the same thing from Escape from New York. They made Escape from New York, I think, in like 1980. And it's like 17 uh, years from now. New York's going to be a maximum security prison. <laughs> it seemed like 70 years from now. But it was really like 17 years goes fast. It's like, hey, it's 97. I guess that's not going to happen. All right, Chuck, always a pleasure. Talk to you soon. You
1: bet, man. Bye-bye.
0: Before we call Wesley Morris, I wanted to talk about a couple new podcasts on the uh, Ringer Podcast Network. The first one is called Keeping It 1600. It is hosted by John Favreau and Dan Pfeiffer, both of whom used to work for Obama. And each week they come in and they talk about politics. They talk about the election. They have famous political guests you've heard of. And it has become a very popular podcast for us. It's very good. And they do it once a week, usually on Thursdays. And then the second one is called Shack House. It's presented by Callaway. It stars Joe House and Jeff Shackelford. And they talk about golf. And not playing golf as much as the PGA Tour. uh, Who's going up? Who's going down? They did a great Masters uh, post-game show that really broke down what happened in the tournament. They'll talk about their own golf games. People like that one as well. And you can subscribe to the Shack House podcast uh, on iTunes or on SoundCloud. Check both of them out. They're doing really well. Shack House and Keeping It 1600. On the line, uh, my old Grantley colleague, my buddy, Wesley Morris, uh, sad week for all of us. I was thinking of, you were one of the first people I thought of yesterday, actually. How you feeling?
2: I think it's really sunk in yet. Like, I'm, it's just, it's surreal. And, I mean, the more I read less, the more things kind of make sense, but it's just uh, it's just crazy. I just saw him a month ago. I just saw him a month ago. In concert? And he was fine.
0: You saw him play? Yeah, he
2: played a I did. I saw him play. He signed that book deal with Random House and I went to a he he wanted to play a concert for signing his book deal. So he played a little concert in some club in 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 like Chelsea basically. And you know, there was maybe like I don't know how many people were there, maybe 70 people, 80 people. And he did one set, very short, you know, pre-recorded track that he played organ over or keyboard. And he, you know, riffed a little bit on a couple songs. And then um, he left for like, like two hours. First of all, he started way after he was supposed to. And then he left for like two hours. And... During this time, I mean, I stayed because the DJ was good, and I like, you know, you know me. I will dance for, I will dance forever if the music is good. And this DJ was pretty good. She cut off too many songs, but whatever, she was good. And so then it, this rumor started circulating that he was going to come back, and he wanted to play for the people who are coming to this to to the show. So I wonder, it was like, who's going to come to this show? So in this two-hour break, the cast of Hamilton shows up and Jennifer Hudson shows up, and the cast of The Color Purple. So it's these two shows. This, they're on opposite sides of this tiny bar, and it's just like the energy was so great. But, you know, as if you couldn't love the people involved in Hamilton anymore, they had the time of their lives. I mean, they just they couldn't believe it.
0: And then last night, they did a, a Let's Go Crazy tribute, I couldn't tell if it was just on YouTube. My kids showed it to me, of course, because they know everything that's going on with Hamilton. Um, I, I think it was at the end of the show. Did you see this? Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think Lin-Manuel at the end of the show. I mean, Lin-Manuel, Lin-Manuel tweeted that he, Lin-Manuel Miranda, the creator and star of Hamilton, yeah, uh, tweeted something about what they did. I think it was at the end of the show. And then I watched the thing and it was, it's it's great.
0: So when you were at Grantland, you and Alex Papadimus had a podcast called, do you like Prince movies? Yes. And then you talked to him a little bit yesterday on his MTV podcast, correct? Yes. What it's did you talk about? He, uh,
2: we talked about, we talked about the, the, the like a, like our seminal, like a seminal Prince moment. I don't really have a seminal one. So I kind of flubbed that one. Um, but his was about Bat Dance, which I thought was very Alex and true. Um, but, I mean, Bat Dance is like, it's a great song. And the album is sort of underrated. Nobody really ever talks about it in the context of, of Prince's very good work. Um, but, I mean, I, I, there's so much about Prince that is underrated from the standpoint of his output because there's so much output. Yeah. And so much of that output is so good that. It's just—it's so easy to
0: underrate him. Chuck thought that he was the greatest ever because he could do the most things. I always thought Michael that Jackson is 100% was. true. Yeah, I always thought Michael Jackson was the greatest ever just because he was the best at singing and dancing, and basically writing—you know, basically writing pop music and also having the dancing element. But then you, I kind of when you when you include all the all the instruments that Prince could play. <laughs> as as well or better than anyone on the planet. And then on top of that, the fact that he just didn't decline at all over 35 years, 40 years. No. He's yep. the best. No, I mean, I, So I think I'm talked into that now.
2: But here's the thing about Michael Jackson. And I mean, there are two ways to evaluate the best, right? Because, I mean, if you really want to be honest about this, Prince's peer isn't Michael Jackson or Madonna. That's his, They're his contemporaries. Right? Yeah. Like his real artistic peers are like Stevie Wonder and the Beatles. Yeah. Like that's where he is. Right. Like crazy output, visionary. I mean not that Michael Jackson wasn't a visionary, but his vision wasn't as wasn't as grand and as ambitious as Prince's. I mean, he's up there with like George and, and and Paul and Stevie. Like that's where he is. And <laughs> He just—he was the best songwriter. He was the—he was an amazing musician. I mean, he was a great live performer. The thing that Michael's got on Prince is when Michael Jackson died, the world stopped. That didn't really happen yesterday. Right. Like you could go into restaurants and they were playing you and you could hear you could hear MGMT. You could hear Taylor Swift, which is what happened to me yesterday. I had to leave all the places that weren't playing Prince. But you can and part of it is you can't find his music if you're using a streaming service i'm sure but it just didn't feel like it just didn't feel like the world stopped in the way that when michael jackson died it, nobody was breathing yeah um, and and that's how much michael jackson meant to everybody i think prince i mean you know we're talking about a magner we're not talking about a whole like order of magnitude we're just it's 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 a slight difference but it's it's different. It's slightly different.
0: Well, and the other thing with Prince, I, I said this to Chuck, that shocked me was, um, like the under twenty eight generation, how who don't how, know who yeah who weren't even there when when it was like when he was just at the all time peak of his powers, but but it still mm-hmm. resonated with him. The music trickled down. I was really happy to see that. I, I didn't expect that.
2: Yeah, I mean. He, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what Chuck said, but I mean, the thing about Prince is he is he is probably the most elemental of the big three, right? Of Michael Jackson, Madonna, and and Prince. Because I mean, we agree they're the big three, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, are you talking '80s '80s big three? I'm just
2: talking about like like major pop stars in the last 40 years. Who else is there? Like who is who else is up there? I was thinking maybe you two. But it's just a different thing. If Bono died tomorrow, it just wouldn't be the same Would
0: thing. you put Whitney in there?
2: Nope. Okay. I mean, Whitney's that next tier. She's on that next tier with, with Bono. Yeah. And, I mean, with you 2 And, I mean, there's a whole next tier. And I just feel like Madonna. I mean, in terms of, like, the way they change the way we think about presentation and the relationship between Persona. And, I mean, David Bowie did some of that. But yeah. like he kind of did it I mean he was doing it before MTV and I think MTV is a huge is, you know, a huge part of this too. Like the ability to sort of capitalize on this medium and turn your music into movies. Prince didn't really care about that. His videos sucked. But I mean he was still part of that era and he he had huge hits and for himself and other people during that era. So I don't know, do you have you have a different theory or like somebody you'd add to that?
0: No, I think that's the right theory. I it's funny though that Prince's videos sucked and yet Purple Rain was basically the greatest music video ever made. It just had scenes of dialogue mixed in yeah. with these unbelievable uh-huh. I, I, You could argue the the opening of Purple Rain is one of the five greatest music videos ever made even though it was a movie. You know, so yeah, I, I no, don't know. I mean, it seems like I I don't know why he didn't care more about the five minute art form, but obviously it didn't interest can I, him.
2: Can I offer you a theory? Yeah, his songwriting was too good. It just was too good. Like his songwriting was great. Like when you like you just had a visual, and you know when he like I'm just trying to think of some songs where like you don't need if I I can never take the place of your man. Now. That is a song, I mean, it actually happens to have a video because of Sign of the Times, but it's not particularly, it's not a video video. Like, you're allowed to sort of create your own narrative, like visual narrative for that song in a way that, I mean, because it's so specific. It's such a story that he's telling. Um, And there's a, I mean, at his best, he was really good at that.
0: What was the, what was the song he did with Sheen Easton? Which one? You There's got the one look? on the Batman soundtrack? No, you got the look. Um, That's what it was. Uh, you got the look, yeah. They had a video of that. He, he kind of... Sheena Easton was just basically this Scottish pop star. And he made her super sexy just by doing that one song with her. And then it, like, we got parlayed later to a Miami Vice story arc for her. And Prince had this way of just when when he kind of blessed somebody in a big picture way, they they got a little momentum from it, you know? Cause he, yeah, he,
2: I mean... Was he sexy for
0: you? I don't know. I, I was saying to Chuck, the first few years, I didn't know what he was. I didn't know what to make of him. I didn't know if he was gay or straight. It was a very androgynous time in general for pop culture, and he just—it was just confusing and mysterious. And then, um, and then, and then, Purple Rain came out, and it, it was, it was just kind of amazing because it had never. No, he went from not knowing anything about this guy to he's playing this complicated character and you're diving into the thing. I, I think that was one of those movies that I actually remember like what theater I saw it in, who I was with, <laughs> you know, it was really an experience. It was great. And it was somebody that was clearly super talented, but had never kind of put himself out there like that. So I don't know. I didn't know what to make of him. What did he mean to, you know, when, when Bowie died and you, you did a great job writing about this, about what he meant to the gay community and um, a lot of people wrote good stuff about that. What did Prince mean?
2: It's less clear, right? Because he wasn't, he didn't, he trafficked in queerness, but he wasn't in any way, he wasn't in any way overtly queer. I mean, queer is like a weird thing, right? Like it's something you are, not something you, you profess to be. Like it's, you can't, it's like camp. You can't. You can't do camp. You either are or you're, you either achieved it or you haven't. But I mean, look, this is a guy who in controversy was, you know, asking questions. that like, you know, rhetorically asking questions about, you know, am I straight or gay? Um, I'm neither man or, wow, what song is that? I'm neither man or woman. Um, I, think, I think it's, I think it's, uh, uh, it's, uh, it's on, um, it's on Purple Rain. And now I'm, I am something that you'll never comprehend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody, yeah. No, you I mean, need to worry. I
0: no, need to cry. Yeah, yeah. Kind of um,
2: I would die for you. Yeah. So on, a, I would die for you. I mean, he's laying all this out there. He's like, he's setting himself up as being this androgynous person, but it's, but he, you know, he's so resolutely heterosexual in so many ways in in the songs, but there, there is a kind of like performance of of heterosexuality. It is. It is interesting. I mean, it's not so much to say that like he's pretending. I mean, I think Prince was very really attracted to women. Yeah, um, and he had a type. Right, and he had. He definitely had a type.
0: He liked that kind and, of biracial. I don't know what your ethnicity is, but you're a little tall yeah. and you have like a really pretty creamy skin color. Like that was his type.
2: Yes, tall, thin, mocha, lots of hair.
0: It's amazing um, he never, I'm sure he tried, but it's amazing J-Lo never got pulled into the Prince Vortex. He probably She's not tall her.
2: enough, probably. You don't think so? Yeah, she's probably, I mean, and I don't know. Maybe she's not anonymous enough. I, I mean, he True. definitely had a type because, you know, I think he liked his privacy too. And, yeah. you know, he, he never dated a celebrity. I mean, as far as I know, there's probably somebody obvious I'm totally missing. I
0: don't think um, he did.
2: Carmen Electra. He had a Carmen Electra thing. I remember that.
0: God, she she snared some good ones over the years. Carmen Electra. Yeah. Um, hmm. see, well,
2: there's another one that I'm missing, a totally obvious one, but I can't remember.
0: Well, so who? Um, we, so who is who is the biggest star left from basically my generation trickling down to yours? Springsteen? Madonna, you'd put Madonna over Springsteen.
2: Oh, I mean, it depends on like how are we talking about this.
0: I don't know. I I was just thinking about how the world just basically shut down for the last twenty four hours because Prince died.
2: If Madonna died tomorrow, God forbid. God forbid. Yes, God forbid. I mean, the world would stop because not only I mean it would be a it would I mean it just it would be that would be michael jackson if springsteen died tomorrow it would be a lot of there'd be no it would be like bowie's dying a little bit where you have a lot of shock and outpouring but springsteen's relationship to american popular culture is just different from bowie's it just sure. isn't the same like he won't have reached as many people in the ways that bowie did because springsteen just did a different thing but I think the outpouring that you would feel would be from a from a class of person who wasn't saying anything when David Bowie necessarily died.
0: You I think know, the short just, list, uh, the short list for me would be McCartney, Madonna, Springsteen, um, Mick Jagger.
2: Mick Jagger, well, Mick Jagger is going to be a huge one because. Bono. Bono. I mean, but like, we're, okay, so we're talking about two different classes of death, unfortunately, right? Like, I mean, and we're speaking only hypothetically. This in is terms so morbid.
0: Yeah, I, mean, I feel bad having this right. conversation. It's just, hey, it's, I'm more thinking about like when artists reach the point that if, God forbid, they pass away, like the world stops, like it did with Prince yesterday. It's, it's kind of the final level to get to if you're an artist for how many people you've reached and touched.
2: Right. No, yeah. I mean, it's 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 crazy to think of think about it this way but you can't help it sometimes you know when when this sort of thing happens like i think i mean unfortunately for what we do like important people dying is kind of the thing you you have in the back of your mind a lot of the time anyway yeah because you know it sort of shuts your it's i mean selfishly it kind of it changes your life
0: huh now i'm depressed um,
2: <laughs> don't be depressed I mean we still have all these other great people and we still have all this great Prince music it's it's okay you know I mean it sucks that he's gone but I mean he left us He's gonna. He, he's got so much music in that vault bill I know he could put out an album every year probably until we die
0: Michael Jackson Prince Madonna I think it's funny or not funny I think it's interesting you group those three together because not only were they great at what they did but they were really interested in the art of, of moving their career along in a way that always stayed interesting and different and new looks and new wrinkles and new paths and trying different things. And that's one of the arts of staying famous, you know, mm-hmm, is to constantly mm-hmm. keep people on their toes. And all three of them figured that out, I feel like. Right?
2: But in different ways, right? Like, yeah. I would say, wouldn't you say Madonna was the person who, like, did it the best and was... I mean, Prince didn't change that much, right? Like, he changed sounds, he changed... But his look was pretty... It didn't really change too much. But he was always He just up was to, a crazy dresser.
0: He was always up to stuff, though. I think Madonna was the most mm-hmm. calculating. Madonna clearly looked at it and said, every 18 months I have to zig this way and then I'll zag that way and then I'm going to zig back this way. Like, she was... Almost like the uh, the most of a student have had a mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. I think Prince did it naturally. It was just a, I think he just got bored and tried different things and decided to change his name to a symbol and all that stuff. And then,
2: <laughs> well, that was a legal matter, just
0: <laughs> right. And Michael just had a lot of issues and yeah. had a lot of things yeah. happen to him and had a lot of demons. And I think that probably right. may, probably pushed him to make some of the choices he made, but. Uh, three fascinating people. Are you writing about this?
2: Yeah, I'm writing about it. I just finished something about Prince sex, basically. Like uh, what, you know, how sex works in Prince, basically.
0: Great. I look forward to reading it. Wesley Morris, uh, read you on the New York Times. Great to hear your voice. Talk to you soon.
2: Okay, bye.
0: Before we call house, the star of Shack House, our golf podcast that you could subscribe to on iTunes. I want to give a quick shout out to Channel 33. That's the Ringer's podcast that houses podcasts like Jam Session with Amanda Dobbins and Juliet Limon. They talk about pop culture. The Watch, Andy Greenwald and Chris Ryan. That's where the, you'll, you'll get all their leftover Game of Thrones thoughts and then all kinds of thoughts on TV and all kinds of other stuff. Uh, Brian Curtis's media podcast is there. David Shoemaker just did an MMA podcast, um, and is going to be doing a bunch of wrestling podcasts there. We also have an NFL Draft podcast with Mally Rubin and Robert Mays that people have really liked. So check that out. Channel 33, subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on SoundCloud, and uh, and it's really good. If you like this one, there's a very good chance you'll like the Channel 33 pod. And now, let's call House. Joe House, how are you?
3: Hey, we're Friday rolling. It's Friday, like rolling. The old days. Old time, Friday
0: rolling. Old time's sake, Friday rolling. Why not? Winnepore went out for Prince a little bit later. Let's talk hoops first. Okay. So, this has been probably the worst round one I can remember in my life. I'm sure there's been worse, but I, I recency bias just tells me that uh, this has been awful. And I was trying to think of how I'd fix this or whether it even needs fixing. And really, the problem is. The league is so top-heavy right now. None of these series are that interesting. House, would you go back to best of five with the following caveat? Top two seeds in each conference get four of the five home games. So Golden State right now, Houston just gets the one game at home. That's it. Now they got to go back to Golden State for four and five. What do you think?
3: So I like the idea of some creative thinking around how to make these playoffs more exciting and interesting. I will tell you, I personally tried to make them more exciting for my own self by making small, modest wagers, none of which have come, come to fruition. I've been wrong on every one, and that's because the favorites, with the exception of the Dallas game and the Golden State game, And the Pacers, you know, very first one. But the favorites have been overwhelmingly kicking ass. And so it's just not been that fun to watch. And so, yeah, let's do something creative with this uh, first-round matchup. Having said all of that, I still like seven. I like seven because I like having lots of games every night. And seven means there's going to be lots of games every night. And seven also means um, the teams grow to intensely dislike one another over the course of the seven, I, I like that. I like how the follow-on for the next season, sometimes you get some rivalries that you didn't necessarily anticipate that develop over the course of seven, even when you're in a situation like this year where the better teams are putting the beat down on the lesser teams. So I, w- I wouldn't change it, but I like being creative uh, in, in, in thinking about tweaks. The thing I liked you repeating again, you did a little bit of a, a Twitter um, you know, suggestion box, the uh, play-in for the eighth slot, we really have to come up with a way to incent um, the remaining teams to to have something to play for uh, and not uh, put the, the league in that awful position where in the last week you have teams doing like what Sacramento did, which is sitting their very best players and altering the potential um, outcomes for, for genuine playoff contenders because of that.
0: Yeah, so you described the entertaining cell tournament, which I had been pushing for like I, since like 2007, I don't even know. Um, basically, you guarantee the first seven seeds in each conference and then you take the other 16 teams and you have a play-in tournament for the two eight seeds. Now, I mean, you can go even further with this and just say it's it's a 16-team free-for-all and you get throw away the conferences, but Um, However you do it, it would allow us to have a team like Minnesota in round one, which would be so much more fun than, uh, I don't know, Houston. Yeah, the
3: depressing Houston.
0: the Sad Houston. That was, I thought, one of the funniest vines I've ever seen in my life last night when Harden hits the go-ahead shot and they cut to the Rockets bench and it's just all stone faces and people... Trying to calculate if they can change their first-class plane tickets to uh, tropical locations by move them back two days. Hilarious! I loved it. So,
3: it's so funny. Hi, what, what's the? I can't think of anything in recent memory where the team so disliked one another. They were so unenthused by competing in the playoffs. Is there any any proxy, any any comparisons to it?
0: I, Dwight Howard is really starting to hurt his legacy a little bit. I think. It's because this also happened in that last Lakers year, remember? When he, he ended up getting yeah. himself thrown out of that last game. But, yeah, I mean, it's a team that should be good when you look at it. And then you actually watch them and you go, oh, yeah, Dwight Howard's not the same guy anymore. And, oh, James Harden's kind of a ball hog, and it's probably not fun to play with him. But uh, but back to the entertaining cell tournament. I'm all for trying to make all this stuff more interesting. Right now, the round one... You know, you have the occasional Game 7 with Spurs-Clippers, right, like last year, which was awesome. Yeah. But but right. guess what? The lower C, the teams that lost in Round 1 last year, they only won nine games total. There are eight teams that lost in Round 1 last year. Um, There were three, three sweeps, two series ended in five, two series ended in six, and then the one series went to seven. This year it looks like we might not have a game seven. I I would say yeah, Cavs, Pistons will be done in four or five. Toronto, Indiana, probably six. Miami, Charlotte's done in five. The Hawks are probably going to sweep the Celtics. Warriors, Rockets will go five max. Spurs is a sweep. OKC's five. Clippers, Blazers is either four or five. We might not have a game six in round one.
3: So, at the heart of of your suggestion, and at the heart of what you're sort of mulling here, is really kind of a philosophy question. What's what's your philosophy with regards to how important should the regular season be, and shouldn't shouldn't the seeds matter for the for the for the good teams? And you're expressing a little bit of dissatisfaction with the the fact that you know we're we're getting um, games that are for the most part are not that competitive. Um, but isn't that on the other hand, an endorsement of the seeding
0: house? I don't need seven games to find out if golden state's better than Houston. You know, I really, what we, you know, in the nineties, when, uh, when the playoffs got really fun with those best of fives and TNT and all the different games every night and they really kind of figured out how to make the playoffs fun. It was really fun to watch those best of fives. I enjoyed them, and, and
3: it's like you have we'll a situation. Never forget Denver, Seattle.
0: Yeah, but you and you have a situation. We'll never
3: forget the Kembe on his back.
0: Like OKC Dallas, Dallas wins game two, and now there's a little edge to the series, right? OKC's going to Dallas. They're clearly a better team, but they have to win a game in Dallas, so they're not even coming home. Last night, it's like, all right, it's one to one, but. You know, we're gonna take one of these next two. We'll get it back to OKC. We'll get back home court, and we're gonna win this series. I like that best of five edge, and I like the fact that there wasn't a lot of ground if you if you effed up, and uh, and also, you know, the best of five. The one thing that was bad about it was you play this whole season, and then you could have three bad games, and you're out. I think if if you guaranteed the top two seeds in each conference for the five home games and you made it really tough for the road teams to pull it off and you really penalize them for not being in the top six, um, that solves that for me. I just want things to move faster. So if you had the tournament, if you had a 78-game season or an (laughs) 80-game season, whatever, and then you had that tournament that took off another week, everybody got some rest, and then it's like, boom, let's go, best of five. Now And now we're moving, and it's like, oh, this team's much better than this team. Let's get this series over with. Like, I love the Celtics. I thought we had a really good season. They're not going to beat the Hawks. Bradley's out. Olenek's hurt. Jake Crowder's playing at 50%. Like, this series, when they couldn't win game one, this series is done. I don't see it happening. You know, they're just—this is a team that collectively— overachieved and if you start pulling pieces from the collective overachievement it's just not there you can't play marcus smart i love marcus smart but he's he's one of those guys if he doesn't have it you don't play him and when he has it you ride him you can't rely on him for 35 minutes
3: you're bringing yeah you're bringing me around so if 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 you could uh ensure if you could guarantee that the entertaining as hell tournament fills that that void, you know, for me of, of you know I want three games a night, starting you know whenever the playoffs start all the way through till till June you know until we have uh, the the finals. You know, can as have long it as, as it can go. I know. Yeah. If we if you, if you can guarantee me that then I'm I'm willing to, to jump over to the five. And I, I do think the the idea of of um, giving a reward to the top two seeds in each conference uh absolutely positively makes sense and that's as far as you need to extend it it's just top 2 you don't need to make um that create that same uh you know reward for for the top 3 teams uh i'm i'm coming around a little on it
0: really bad round 1 i think a couple of positive lessons we learned was one i la- i really like Kevin Love at the five i i think this could kind of alter Cleveland's ceiling a little bit. I've been waiting for them to play in there. That's where basketball is going. Nobody has a center anymore. I don't understand what took so long. But when they play Love at the 5 and LeBron at the 4, um, I don't know. I just like it. And and I like that he's playing well again because I, miss, I missed watching him play well. So that's been fun. Um, the Clips... They they I went to game two. I don't think Blake's hundred percent healthy. I think I thought he was picking his spots. I didn't like the way uh I didn't like the way his body looked. I didn't like his posture. I, I do think he's banged up. But um but their bench played pretty well and, and Chris is playing great, Reddick's playing well, DeAndre's playing hard. It's it's a team that if Curry's hurt, or if Curry's playing at sixty percent. It's a team that can at least make the Warriors work for it, I think, in round two. I, I'm improving, I'm increasing my ceiling for the Clips. What do you think?
3: I agree with that. We we have this history of the Clips um, being up for the challenge. The two teams definitely don't like each other. Yeah. Uh, you know, that old cliche. But really, the Clippers' season was so altered by that loss they had very early on to Golden State where it looked like the Clippers had that game and Golden State, as part of their 24-game streak at the beginning, yeah. um, came back and kind of stole one. And it really took the heart out of the Clippers for for a while. And they didn't really even get it. They didn't get that heart back until after Blake got hurt, which was so such a weird, um, you know, now looking back in the rearview mirror at the course of the the Clippers season, they really got reset, reconstituted, refocused after Blake got hurt but there's a great history between the Clippers and the Warriors. Both teams think uh that 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 they um hold hold themselves in too high esteem and there's a genuine, you know, F U, Chris Paul is can't wait to go push Steph and grab him and, and punch him in the nuts. So it's gonna be spectacular. I can't wait for it.
0: I like when you said Blake got hurt. Like he pulled his hamstring or something he got hurt because he kept punching the equipment manager in the face. We should mention that <laughs> uh, from from multiple accounts, from people I've talked to,
3: I don't well, know he, he was out already. No, he was I on know. his way back.
0: Yeah, yeah, but from multiple I've heard the Blake situation's not great. I hate to do a sources say Stephen A routine on this, but you know he knows they try to trade him. I think they're with the training staff. Because he had this quad issue that was a real issue for him. And if you watched him, if you're watching him closely, like he had that great dunk in game two, he's not in the air like he used to be. Like he's definitely, I I would say, 60, 70% of his leaping capacity. And, you know, I don't know. I I think it's going to be a really interesting situation to watch because if they lose in round two... Then the whole, should they trade Blake? Is it time to break this up? That's going to start. And guess who's going to get blamed for all that? So I think he knows that. I also don't think that having that tension is necessarily a bad thing. You know, we've seen the Rockets won a title after they tried to trade Robert Horry. You know, like the players get over it. It's a business. So maybe that little edge is, is, is a positive thing. I don't know. But Chris is... Chris is pretty locked in. And Chris, that I think that's like the fourth Clippers-Blazers game I've been to over the years where he just demolished Damian Lillard. It's like a big brother, yeah, that's, little that's brother thing.
3: A, it's such an interesting matchup and uh, so curious to me that Portland can't get Dame free. Why does why he have such a hard time getting away from Chris Paul?
0: Very good defensive uh, scheme. By the clips, the they did a nice job yeah. because the Blazers are basically built around these two guards. It's it's uh, it reminds me a little of what the old KJ Hornacek uh, Hornacek uh, Suns teams from the late '80s, early '90s. But that team had Chambers. Portland has nobody else yeah. who can score. Portland's dying for, you know, Nick Batum. Ironically,
3: they uh-huh. need a, they need an outside. They need a, a stretch four is what they yeah, really Yeah, yeah, they need... They I mean, need, I know that...
0: Th- it, like, if Mo Harkless was good, they'd be in a lot better shape, <laughs> or they had somebody, yeah. you know, like like 2001 Jalen Rose, some some sort of perimeter guy who's not a guard who can create create shots, because, um, you know, it's just too easy to stop two guards when nobody else is making you yeah. work.
3: I, I the, went to that game... In the game, playoffs when you play the same... T- yeah, that's
0: right. I went to that game with our friend Nathan... And mm. yeah, he, he we had uh, we ate sushi and then he had an entire thing of chili cheese tots.
3: And I couldn't believe that picture. Why did he do that?
0: I've never seen anyone have sushi and then chili cheese tots. It was incredible. It was
3: really like it's a what, weird combo.
0: What's happening is you're losing your corner, is what I'm learning. You're just losing your corner. Nathan, oh, Nathan's flat oh, out oh, taking look,
3: look, it. Look, look, look. Now Nathan's been sort of hovering around. He he's been c- creeping. He's he's watched. Uh, you know, he was a judge at House Eats Three. I know the showdown uh, in, in down in New Orleans. And I, I maybe he wasn't impressed. He's 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 talking little talk here and there. Anytime Nathan wants to sit down at the table, I'm right there with him. And by the way, ask Nathan about the price he paid the next day for having hot tots after sushi. Yeah. I don't think it was a good. It was worth the price.
0: It was a rookie move. is what it was. I want to see you guys. Yeah. Eat, I want to see you guys eat deep dish pizza because one of the underrated house seats moments of my lifetime was when you ate an entire deep dish pizza in Chicago. It was one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen. It was also, it was inhuman. I was you le- actually you left a slice. That was last
3: summer. Yeah, I was you left so a hungry slice. And- you, the funniest thing was afterwards you're like, "Hey, we, were, you know, it's 4 hours before bedtime. You want to go get a movie?" And I'm like, "Nope, got to go got to go back to the hotel lay down." Deep <laughs> I'm dish. I'm going to see a movie. Deep dish is not your down. friend.
0: So, uh, Big Picture Basketball. Giordano's,
3: stuff. so good. Thank you Giordano's. Great pizza.
0: Big Picture Basketball.
3: Go ahead.
0: I'm not changing my opinion on the Cavs. I think when they even though I like what they're doing with Love, I think when they have the right matchup, um, there's some chemistry stuff that might self-combust. I don't trust Ty Lue. Um I don't trust their perimeter shooters. I don't trust the fact that it seems like they play better with Della Vadova than Kyrie just from the eye test. When Della Vidova's out there, it, they, there's a co- coherence that, that I kind of like. Um, I think at some point that stuff's going to bubble. Spurs look great. So you're,
3: that, you're doing a glass half. You're doing glass half empty. I'm glass half full. I think they're pulling out just enough. Okay. I think love at the five is just the beginning. We haven't seen Channing Frye yet.
0: <clears throat> when we may
3: You know might that, not. that that's a perimeter uh, angle that that that's still yeah to to develop. We we haven't seen a, a full on J.R. Smith game yet where he where he scores thirty points and a half. There's we a, have, a whole bunch of Cleveland yet to come.
0: We also haven't seen the full-on J.R. Smith game yet, when he accidentally elbows someone in the face and gets thrown out and changes the complexion right. of a series. Um, I would have, I still have the Warriors one. I'm not, I'm not thrown off by the Curry injury. Spurs, I think, I think the distance is tightened a little bit because even if Curry comes back, we have no idea if he's, he might be eighty percent, he might be seventy percent. I mean, the Celtics did this with Jay Crowder; they rushed him back, which I, I thought was a mistake and he's just not healthy and and I actually wish they had just shelved him for the whole regular season until he felt better cuz who cares if you're five seed or seven seed like big deal um Spurs have, have closed the gap I would put the clips 3 I think the clips are playing better than OKC I don't like what I'm seeing from OKC at all I really don't I know I know they rallied back in game 3 but it just seems like in these in these close tight games um I just don't like their I don't offense. Have,
3: I don't have either one of those teams ahead of Cleveland. I like Cleveland at 3 right now. Okay. I, think I would the put Spurs the Clips and, and the Warriors are a strong one too, but I I've, I've been very impressed. That game too, was impressive. That was a beatdown.
0: I put the Clips over Cleveland stuff. That's just me. I, I'm I, not Cleveland attached took to the it.
3: The upstart Detroit shot. And I think uh, you know, D- D- Detroit is is a is is a sneaky good team. I don't still don't have a good explanation for why they faltered a little down the stretch. I didn't watch enough of them to, to develop a point of view on it. But we, on a, on a one of these very podcasts, one of these rolling joints, um, peeped out the possibility of Detroit being an interesting matchup. And lo and behold, it was a great game one. Game two kind of stunk because Cleveland shot so well. And, and this love thing really is uh, getting some legs, love from the corner, love from from you know in a, a bunch of different directions. You know the problem is loops. though
0: with the Pistons. Tell me, Reggie Jackson.
3: Yeah, I know it. It's, it's really, just, it's just really not there. A it's
0: just not there. It's it's all the things that I don't like about Isaiah Thomas's game with not a lot of the things that I love about Isaiah Thomas's game. It's just. I, I saw ball with somebody who's just not that good of a shooter and who thinks he's he's better than he is. Sorry, Reggie Jackson, but I, I think he's just a third guard. I think he's an overqualified third guard who, if he's your crunch time guy, I'm not that excited. Hey, quickly, because we got to go to some other guests. Uh, yeah. Your favorite story about Prince that you read over the last 24 hours.
3: Oh, wow. Uh I actually watched it on television. There's a local um, broadcaster here in D.C. named Donnie Simpson who has been a legend uh, in sort of the African-American radio community here and radio stations that played hip-hop when I was growing up, so I'm a big Donnie Simpson fan, too. He told a story about um, meeting Prince and and Prince knowing who he was and inviting he and his wife to a party, and and they were in Minnesota – and and Prince invited them to his house and said, "Hey man, i mean, you know I can I can't I was going to try and do a Prince, I'm not going to do a Prince." Right. Um, he invited Donnie and his wife, and Donnie thought, "Wow, this is unbelievable." First of all, Prince knows who the hell I am, and second of all, we're going to a party at Prince's house. And they went, and it was like uh, t- ten other people there, and and Prince played some music, and Donnie, you know, said that was. Um, You know, that that was the way that that Prince uh, in his personal life, you know, ran some of those relationships and he was just blown away by being included in such an intimate group um, without, you know, having met the dude and and, uh, having learned that Prince knew his name for the very first time, you know, hours earlier. So that was a cool story that I think, you know was the way Prince touched a lot of people. I mean, he's, he, there, there's a legions of those kinds of stories about him inviting people or expressing an interest. I mean, he, he was a huge Timberwolves fan. and went to all those games, and, you, 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 and, and the Lynx as well. And that Minnesota basketball did a huge outpouring of, of you know, um, uh, gratitude for Prince. But um, that's, that's, that's a story I saw in the last 24 hours that I thought was cool.
0: And just when it was starting to look good for Minnesota again, they spent all that money on Tibbs. I was like, this is great. Minnesota's back. And then Prince.
3: <laughs> I Unbelievable. Didn't want
0: to laugh, it's, so,
3: it's so funny. Unbelievable. I mean, I'm not laughing. It's, not, I mean, it's a sad thing, but right.
0: It's, it was like, We're really? are
3: still in good shape. Come on. Minnesota's still in good the, shape.
0: Wow. Well, the Prince thing is such a bummer. It's only 57. Yeah, I know. It was like, really? Gosh,
3: young dude. Like like when
0: Michael Jackson died It it was awful But it wasn't like Shocking I mean he had some issues And the the Prince is like Yeah well you didn't also Think that
3: MJ Was going to be coming out With another 20 years 25 years worth of music There was no ceiling For Prince Right He was still out touring Still performing And you still expected Great you know Unbelievable um, You know Genre defining records Coming out of the dude
0: Joe House Always a pleasure Yeah Talk to you soon
3: Hey, you know, we, we went this whole 20 minutes without talking about Scotty Brooks. Thank you for that. Um, been, it's, a great, it's a great time to be alive here in Washington, D.C. sports. Nats, Caps, and Josh Norman on the D.C. Gruden's radar. Let's not talk about Scotty Brooks. I'll talk to you later, Bill Simmons. <laughs> Bye, house.
0: Before we go, I wanted to mention we have a podcast that I already recorded with Key and Peel uh, that is coming on Monday. So be ready for that. Thanks to HBO Now download the hbo now app and start a free one-month trial in time for after the thrones for god's sakes you got to watch after the thrones chris ryan and andy greenwald from the ringer they finally got a tv show it comes on just a couple hours after game of thrones the big premiere april 24th sunday night uh and you can watch after the thrones on hbo now and even on hbo on monday night uh Thanks to The Ringer. Quick reminder, go to ringer.com to subscribe to our new n- newsletter. Uh, we are closing in on when we're going to launch this site. I'm excited about that. And thanks to SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor, and our favorite app for buying and selling tickets for sports and music. Enjoy the weekend. Hopefully the NBA playoffs are a little bit better than they were last weekend. And, uh, and good luck to the Kings tonight because my kids are unhappy Whenever the Kings are out of the playoffs. So uh, keep your fingers crossed because I like when my kids are happy. Have a good weekend. See you next week.